I've really enjoyed this series and I've really enjoyed the small group part of it as well. So I hope that that's been a blessing to you if you've been in a small group. What we're going to do today is kind of set up uh, as we close follow, we're also going to introduce a new series that's going to take us through the season of Advent. And Advent is just the season in the church here. It's about a month that leads up to Christmas where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so we're starting a brand new series next week called Before Bethlehem. And kind of the gist of this series, whether you're here in person or listen by podcast, the gist of the series is to look for evidences of Jesus in the Old Testament. So we're actually going to track back into the Old Testament days and look for ways that Jesus manifested himself in the story of Israel and in God's story as as he developed his people and got his people ready for the birth of the Messiah. So it's going to be a really cool series. Um, And if you are traveling during the month of December, as V said, definitely take advantage of the podcast. It's great learning and great. It's a great way to grow in your faith as you see Jesus working in the Old Testament. So let's dive into the last week of follow. As we look at this very special scripture in Matthew chapter 28, I'd invite you to pull your phone or your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 28, and I'd like to just read back over this scripture that leads us up to what we call the Great Commission. If you've ever been in the church, or if you've been in the church for a while, you've heard the words Great Commission before. And what it is, is it's kind of Jesus's marching orders to the church, as Heather said, uh, as he was getting ready to ascend into heaven where he would take his place at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And yet at the same time, as Jesus ascended up, he called his disciples into action. He called them to take action, which we know now was actually following him in our life after we've met Jesus. So we're going to answer the question today as we bring this series to a close. What is it really like to follow Jesus after you've met him? The meeting of Jesus looks like this. You encounter the good news of Jesus for the first time. The, the idea that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave, the Sunday school story of Jesus, the very basics, and when he rose from the grave, what next? That is what this life we are called into is all about. Now, a lot of folks, when they encounter that good news of Jesus, they never really grow beyond that basic Sunday school message. That's why we did this series that looks at how to practically follow Jesus and to be a disciple of his in today's world. It's very practical, very real, and God's presence is there and working in you and through you as you follow Jesus. So the first disciples were uh, the first to encounter, what does this look like when Jesus is not right here in front of me? How do I continue in following him? So let's look at the scripture one more time. The Bible says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now let's notice a couple of things about this preamble here to the Great Commission. The 11 disciples minus who? Judas, who had betrayed him. So if you do the math, 12 minus 1 is 11, right? The 11 were left. And the 11 did what Jesus asked them to do after he did what? After he went to the cross, and then after he was put in the grave, and then after he rose again from the dead, they began following him in one very specific way. He would say to do something, and then they would do what in kind? 
They would obey him and follow him. You see, obedience and following Jesus are the same thing. That's the brass tacks of what we're talking about. We're talking about doing what Jesus tells us to do because he is our Lord and our commander. That's what the disciples did when they went to Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. But notice that the disciples in the very beginning, some of them doubted. Now, do you ever have any doubts while you're following Jesus in this world? Yeah, we all do. Now, the scripture says that he who doubts, you know, is tossed about like waves of the ocean. We talked about that a little bit last week, but it is human to have doubts. It is human to be human. You don't, as you follow Jesus, have to be superhuman at it. In fact, you don't have to be a religious overachiever when you come into the faith. The idea is that Jesus is the one who's perfect. You and I don't have to be. But God doesn't leave us in that place. God calls us forward, not into our own perfection, but into whose perfection? His perfection. And there's a difference in this, isn't it? That takes the pressure off you and me to be perfect, and it leaves the pressure to be perfect on who? On Jesus. And just like those disciples, sometimes we have doubt. Sometimes we waver. Sometimes we are tossed about like the wind and the waves. But in that time, even in the midst of their doubt, here's what Jesus said. And this goes back to what V brought to our attention a few minutes ago. All authority... And on heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you look at that scripture a little bit more deeply, it's into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What that means is the name of Jesus is placed upon you. Your identity becomes a person of Jesus. You are a little Jesus. You are like little Christs, like the original disciples were once called. You become the identity of Jesus as he wins over your heart and as his authority is transferred to you. Now, maybe you haven't thought about your faith in that way. The authority of Jesus being transferred to you. That is the key. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. This is where you find the Great Commission here, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and the first part there is notated by that A. But what we want to bring to light is a concept that we opened up a little bit last week. When Jesus' authority calls you into obedience to him, when he calls you to follow him because he has the authority on, from on high, that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Because what happens is Jesus will call you into situations where you aren't comfortable. He'll call you into changes in your life that you're not expecting. He'll call you to be with people that you aren't normally with. And he'll call you to use language and to engage in activities that you're not used to doing. But that's the fun part. Because in that discomfort, we learn that God is not a transactional God. We learn that God doesn't look for you to score religious points in order to be in his favor. God has placed his favor on you already, 100%. It's not like God said, I'll give you 95% of my favor and you have to earn the other 5%. 
God said, I'm going to place all 100% of my love and my favor on you. And I simply call you forward into a new life that reflects that truth. And so in that moment, we find that God is a relational God. God wants to know us as a father knows his child, as a mother knows her child. It's the idea of being gathered under the wings of the, the mother hen like little chicks. We are gathered under the overhang of Jesus' great power, under the overhang of God's wings. He calls us into his family in this way. And then when that happens, as we grow and as we follow the authority of Jesus, we find ourselves in situations that are impossible. Impossible finances. Impossible, impossible personal issues. Like addictions. Marriages that fall apart. Children that are rebellious and leave angry. Work that just dead ends and goes nowhere. Life that becomes purposeless, meaningless, and bears no fruit. We find ourselves in these impossible situations. And then when we do, we find that Christ is there. Just like Peter found that Jesus was there when he stepped out of the boat, like we talked about last week. And when that happens, we discover a miraculous side of Jesus who keeps showing up time and time again. He shows up whenever we are challenged, whenever we are down, whenever we are disheartened, whenever we are tempted to quit following him, he brings his authority to bear on us by showing up. And that's why we dwell in this place, the relational part of God that leads us into the impossible in life so that there's a miraculous outcome. And even if that miraculous outcome isn't that the circumstances of your life are all fixed up and made perfect, but more that your faith grows in the middle of those circumstances. You may find yourself in circumstances that never get solved. They never get wrapped up like a Christmas present with a pretty bow. They never do resolve themselves because God simply is working in them to grow faith in you. Now, what we've done is kind of synopsized the whole series just in the last couple of minutes. This is where Jesus is living in us and leading us into his authority. Now, that concept of authority was very special for Jesus in his time. Because when you were a rabbi back then, you couldn't just walk around and make stuff up. When you were a rabbi back in Jesus' day, you had the power to expound the scriptures and help people to understand what the scriptures said. But in order to do that, you had to be given authority from a rabbi who was above you. And so when the Bible talks about Jesus speaking with authority, the people were hearing things come out of Jesus that could only be granted a rabbi who'd been given that authority from above. That wasn't just your average everyday rabbi on the street. It wasn't a rabbi who sent a mail order in to become a rabbi and got his rabbi certificate in the mail seven to ten business days later. It was a rabbi who had been specifically set apart by elder rabbis in order to transmit the truth of God to people in a way that they could understand it. So when the Bible talks about Jesus having this authority, 
in one sense, it talks about that he had been given that authority from his father and not from other earthly rabbis. But he talks about authority in a way here as if to say, all of this authority has been given to me by God, my, by God, my father, and I am passing it on to you in the form of you trusting and following me. Let's take a look a little bit deeper into how this works. Now here at Trinity, we've been developing this idea called the discipleship pathway. This has been kind of a centerpiece of our series since we started it several weeks ago. The idea that people come into the faith by various on-ramps, small groups, um, events like the family dance, like the, the Christmas ornament party coming up on the 15th of December, uh, or just in sitting around and having coffee with us or a beer or a meal. People get together and they hear and they discover things about our faith that are attractive to them and they want to know more. So as they want to discover more, we share the faith with them and share what it means to be in the faith. And then the idea becomes, at some point, we commit to becoming a part of the, member, the membership of the body of Christ. We want to be in that family. And so at Trinity, we believe the small group is the first and best place for us to grow in discipleship. You see the path develop and lead itself out in this way where we know and believe that people are equipped by the scripture to become a small group member and to begin discipling each other and growing each other's faith together. Not everybody is called to be a small group leader or a small group coach. People who have the gift of leadership and other gifts with it are called forward to experience leadership and to lead other people forward in the faith. But we believe that everyone is equipped and gifted to be in a small group, to form a small group of believers who lift each other up and encourage each other in the faith. At Trinity, this has become pretty clear to us that this is how people grow in their faith is along this pathway, which comes from the basics of scripture. But what we find throughout that pathway is that the key aspect of growth in your faith and coming under the authority of Jesus is that he is with you always. There is never a time when Jesus isn't with you. And what we find is as we go from on-ramp to discovering the faith to coming in and committing to being a follower of Jesus and then growing together in relationship with other people in small group and then learning how to disciple each other as that faith life, that faith path develops. What happens is we find ourselves more and more following Jesus in a real way. We find ourselves more and more with his presence in our life where Jesus's presence goes beyond an hour and a half on Sunday morning and it goes into Monday morning when you're in traffic. It goes into Tuesday afternoon when the kids are screaming and yelling at each other at home. It goes into Wednesday morning when you're having difficulties at work. It goes into Thursday when you're visiting someone you love in the hospital. It goes into Friday when you're exhausted and you need a break. Jesus is there in every single one of those places, in all those venues. His presence is there. So the more you find yourself under the authority of Jesus, the more you find yourself in his presence, following him in the moment. Even when things are down and when your faith is faltering, you find yourself there following. And when you do, Jesus is there 
He's really there. He's not just there in theory. He's there in presence. And that's what this whole thing is about. The idea of being with Jesus, having him be there. This is what the disciples were confronted with while they were all looking up into the sky. Just tilt your head all the way back like this. Hang your mouth open and just look up into the sky as if you were following Jesus go up. This is the way the first disciples got their start. The angels were basically saying to them, you guys have seen the show. Now it's time to go. Jesus rose up into the heavens and now it's time for you to actually do what he said. And when you do that, you are following him. This is what St. Paul says to Titus, one of his first pastors that he rose up. He says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to how many people? All. So Jesus died for all people, even the ones who say, no, I don't want to follow you, Jesus. And of course, justice is rendered in the end for those of us who say no, right? However, he died for all people and there is no exception. And we are instructed in Titus, it says, we are instructed, verse 12, to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. By whose power? His power, not our own. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. What is that talking about? That's talking about when Jesus comes back again, the second coming, right? When he returns on the clouds and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, the scripture says. This is the day we look forward to. Verse 14 in Titus 2 says, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed in doing good Deeds. Now, the reason Paul was teaching this to Titus is because Titus was a leader in the church. He was one of the first pastors that Paul had kind of grown up in the church. And here's what the encouragement Paul leaves Titus with. He says, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do what? Do them. Teach them to do something. And then encourage and support them in the doing of those things. This is why we keep asking you to be in a small group. This is why we keep asking you to care about each other and circle up for a few minutes on Sundays. This is why we encourage you to reach out to each other through Facebook, through text, through Instagram, through whatever means you find, even a good old fashioned phone call and check on each other. Because what's happening is you're growing together as the body of Christ. We are following Jesus in this. And in fact, when your leaders ask you to do something new and uncomfortable, what it is they're asking you to do is to follow Jesus. That is why they're asking you to do those things. They want you to grow, not into you, but into who? Into him. That is why there's always a little edge of discomfort because you're growing in his image not more into your own. Paul says to Titus, you have the what? The authority to correct them when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard what you say. 
Basically, what he's encouraging Titus to do is to share the good news of Jesus and to share what happens next by giving people instruction and asking them to do stuff with their faith. And he's basically encouraging Titus, people will be tempted to blow you off. And that still happens today. We are so busy in this culture that it is hard for us to find the time and the gumption to follow Jesus into the uncomfortable. But praise be to God, God doesn't give up on us. He keeps encouraging us. He keeps empowering us. And he keeps making the opportunities available for us to follow Jesus and to do something different in response to his call. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That encourages my faith. Because even when I'm tempted to say no to God on the next level of my growth, he doesn't say, oh, well, I'm done with you then. I'm going to move on to somebody who says yes all the time. He, no, he stays and he meets me on the water right where I'm at. And he issues another call and another call and another and another and shows me in a practical way that he loves me and will never turn his back on me. So that's what it means in the church to grow as a follower of Jesus, to become accountable to him and to each other to let each other help each other grow each other up. That is the vision that Christ calls us into when he asks us to go into the world and to make disciples. Now, we've introduced a concept to the whole church in the last few weeks called the spiritual life assessment. Uh, Some of you guys in this room have taken the spiritual life assessment. Um, If you want to raise your hand and share with everybody that you've taken it, Feel free to throw your hand up now. And then if you've taken it and you want to be a resource for people who haven't taken it yet, feel free to see one of those people who raised their hands and ask them, what was the experience like? It's basically 31 questions that help us to gauge how we're progressing in following Jesus. The way we do that is by centering on seven family values, worshiping, connecting, serving, generosity, sharing our faith, leading others and being led, and accountability, probably one of the most important. What this does is it enables a small group leader or myself or the two of us to get together with each one of our people at Trinity and help us to chart a course as to how we can follow Jesus in the next step. See, God calls us into life in him wherever we are. And even if we're absolutely scoring a zero in each one of these family values, he loves us and calls us into the family with safety, with comfort, with peace. And he never turns his back on us, no matter where we are. And in that moment, in any one of those seven values, he calls us to grow and take a step forward in faith. And when we grow and take a step forward in faith in that, We are growing to be more like him and we are following him. Here's where that idea stems from. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says these famous words. He says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? 
I will give you rest. The first time you encountered Jesus, did you feel peace in your life? That's what that looks like. That is the rest that we inherit from Jesus because he took care of our sins on the cross. That is the rest that we inherit in him, the peace that we get from him when we trust our lives to him. We lay down the burden of carrying our lives by ourselves and we receive his life instead. That's why in the next verse he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find what again? Rest for your souls. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you've ever experienced what a yoke is, basically what a yoke is, is it's a harness for an ox. God is not calling you an ox. He doesn't want you to be a mere ox in his kingdom. But what he's doing is he's using the technology of the day to teach the people throughout all time what it means to be in his kingdom and follow him. What he does is he places a responsibility on your back, in your life, and in your heart. Not a burden, a responsibility. What he does is he says, I have freed you from all sin and from serving yourself and making yourself your own God. And I have given you life in the true God who loves you and calls you up out of the grave. And as such, take on my yoke, which is easy and light. What it means is that God doesn't excuse us from responsibility in the Christian life. He blesses us with a responsibility that is easy and light because the power of that and the burden of that goes away and stays on whose shoulders? On his. So what he is simply doing with that yoke that is easy and light is he's not burdening us with a new burden. He's simply making us the drivetrain. We are the ones who are pulling the plow, tilling new ground so that new seeds of faith can be planted in new lives. And the person who's driving that train is Jesus. He is the one that's placed on us the yoke of his life, which is not a new burden of sin, where we have to perform to work our way out of a conundrum in the spiritual world. He instead is driving us, leading us, and as he does that, new ground is being tilled. New seeds are being planted. And he is the one doing the driving of that train. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's because he's the one doing the work in us and through us. Have you ever thought about it that way? your faith, and your life. This is why we put the spiritual life assessment out there. Because what we want to see, quite frankly, I'll just be point blank honest with you. What we want to see in every life at Trinity is this. We want to see the burden of sin gone in you. And we want to see the yoke of Jesus on you instead. When the yoke of Jesus is on you instead... The burden is gone. 
And the life is a life of peace. It is a life of power. It is a life of purpose following Jesus. That's why we have tools like the spiritual life assessment. We want to see people free, free to follow him without the burden of past sins, troubles, issues. Now, a lot of people may say, when confronted with that challenge, I'm not ready yet. I'd like to just sit and listen. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to share my personal stuff with a small group leader. If you feel like that today, God loves you. He still sent his son to die for you. And he doesn't want to leave you where you are. Because he's called you for more, equipped you for better, and plans to lead you into a new life. Even if you say no right now to being led, Jesus will lead you anyway. And the way he does it is by winning your heart one piece at a time, one day at a time, one circumstance at a time, one family member at a time, one rough coworker at a time, one missed paycheck at a time, one difficulty of life at a time, calls you, loves you, leads you, is there for you. That's what it looks like to have the yoke of Jesus is his arm around you, walking with you. You know, we're probably used to thinking of following somebody as being behind them, trailing along so that they can blaze the path and we can see where to go. But I like to think of following Jesus in this way. If you're listening by podcast, there's a picture of Jesus with his arm around a guy and they're walking on the beach. I like to think of it that way, that as I walk and as I follow in obedience based on the Spirit's power, not on my own, that Jesus is there with me, his arm around me. And when I stumble and fall, who's there to pick me up? He is. And when I have a great day and I succeed, who's there with me? He is. The point is that he is there. And I know it and I recognize it and I live by it. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Joy, peace, power, purpose, comfort, and a plan for your life. My hope is that this, this series and, and the entirety of it and every aspect of it has been a blessing. My hope is that we have learned together what the discipleship pathway means and where it comes from, from the scripture and from revelation from God. And my prayer is that here at South Naperville, we will continue to grow together. Have you seen growth in your life in the last year? When you were having turkey, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, dessert, a nice glass of wine over Thanksgiving, did you take a moment to reflect where God has led you and what God has done in you over the last year? Every year I like to do that, at least for a couple of minutes. Even though it's kind of like organized chaos at most family gatherings, right? 
It gives us an opportunity to pause and reflect. Think about who you were one year ago right now. Has God grown you? Has he grown in you? Has he called you forward into something new? Has he made something new in your heart? If he has, and I know that he has, that's how he works. And he's not done with any one of us yet, is he? That's what it means to follow him in the real world. You are going to grow and you're going to grow together as a family. And from where I sit, that is an amazing, miraculous thing to watch that happen. It's so awesome to be in that truth with you all the time, every day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I praise God for that. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his power. Thank you for his presence. Thank you for his glory in my life. Thank you for the change that he has brought in me in this last year. Thank you for the glory that he has brought himself because of our lives here in this family. God, we ask and we trust that you continue to make of us what you will. We ask that you would continue to mold us in your likeness and in your image. Continue to show us what it means to walk with you in this life and to allow ourselves to grow together as a tight-knit family, one who is always there for the people who are there in front of them and for the people who have yet joined us. We ask, God, that you carry us out into the world with the family behind us and that following Jesus becomes a number one priority to share with others. For this is why you died for the whole world, to change us and to lead us into the unknown with you by our side. So we trust you in this, God, and we love you for it. Thank you for giving everything for who you've made us to be. In your name we pray and together we say, amen.